Welcome, everybody, to Bridge Builders Communities Church Sermon Podcast. You are listening to one of our messages from our weekly gathering. We hope that you sit back and enjoy and be blessed. So we've been on this series for 12 weeks, and I've been trying to preach this two-part sermon for about six of those weeks. And it seems like every time that I stood up to give this particular sermon, God had other ideas. And so, but today, I believe, is the day that he wants me to to start this two-parter. And I want to, you know, when we started this series on the gospel uh, and how it affects certain parts of our lives and certain aspects of uh, of society, you know, the the gospel and race was was a great burden to me to 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 present and to talk about. And so I was so thankful that Pastor Curtis came and 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 shared his heart and shared his uh, his concepts and ideas and what God was saying to him about it. And then I was so thrilled when Dwayne Brown came and did did the same thing. And for me, this is truly a labor of love today. Not that it isn't the other days when I, but today it really is because this is something that's really, really just hits my heart hard and fierce. And Today is not so much more of, of a sermon as it is the next two weeks of more of proclamations. You know how I like proclamations. I'm going to be making several of those, and I will point them out because I think that God is saying something through those proclamations. So why, why is this heavy for me? And why do I think it's necessary? Before I even get into it. Last September we had a joint leadership conference at the culinary that we did along with the Potter House and Blueprint Consulting, which Dwayne Brown is the president of, or the founder of. And it went great. It went fantastic. A lot of wonderful networking came out of that 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 conference. There was 75, 80 people there, I believe, and just a lot of wonderful things happened. I was honored and privileged to give the last talk of the day, which I was talking about kingdom building that day and how we can do that together. Near, near the very end of, of that speech that I was giving, the Holy Spirit told me to stop what I was doing and ask for re, uh, forgiveness for, for pastors who would not and do not speak out against race issues, race, racism specifically. It well received within the black community. It was not so well, unfortunately, received in the white community. And it, and it hit me hard because of several conversations that I had with other pastors afterwards. And there was one particular one, I, and the names are not important, and, and this is not to condemn this person, it just shows where we are sometimes. And the comment that was made to me that threw me into this with such a fierceness was, this was the comment, shouldn't they be over it by now? Talking about black people being over racism. This is 2018. Those comments have no place in the body of Christ. They don't have any place anywhere, but certainly in the body of Christ. That's why this is burdensome to me. This is why this matters to me. I know it matters to all of you, and I, I know, I know, in a lot of ways, I'll, I'll be now I'm preaching to the choir today, and, and again, but so hear these proclamations, and and let us prayerfully go into this, 
with eyes wide open and see what God wants to say to us today and how we can join our voices to the proclamations that he's making today. All right. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you again that you want to meet with us, <laughs> that, that you would, would call us into your presence, that you delight over us with singing. Oh, Father, how good you are to us. And we are grateful and thankful this morning for that. Father, I would ask you to speak through me today with everything that you want to say today. And everything that is that is not of you, I pray that you would just clear, clear out of my mind, out of my spirit, out of my heart, and that only your words is what we hear this morning. We want to, we want to hear your heart. Uh, we desire it. We're desperate for you. And we're lost without you. So we pray this in Jesus' name that we will hear your voice today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In this book that I've been reading for months and months and months, Tony Evans' Oneness Embrace, Reconciliation, The Kingdom and How We Are Stronger Together. I'd just like to read this paragraph. Our failure to find cultural unity as a nation is directly related to the church's failure to preserve our spiritual unity. Our failure to find cultural unity as a nation is directly related to the church's failure to preserve our spiritual unity. The church has already been given unity because we have been made part of a family, the same family. An interesting point to note about family is that you don't have to get a family to be a family. A family is already a family. But sometimes you do not have to get a family to act like family. In the family of God, this is done through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk about a little bit about family today. And a little bit of what God wants to say to us today. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that just simply wonderful what the grace of God has done for us? The gospel is the message of God moving towards us, of God coming after us, God coming after us and rescuing every part of who we are, our soul, our spirit, our mind, our heart, to make us one with him. The gospel is this beautiful message of God coming for us, towards us. So that we can go towards God. So so that we can get closer to Him, be part of who He is. Have His Spirit, have His nature, have His character born into us, pressed into us. And so that we can move towards each other. So that we can leave comfort zones and, and places where we would just rather just stay. And move out into the world because that's what He's called us to do. To go on to all the world and make disciples of some men. All men. And that includes all men. Not just the people we like. People we're comfortable with. All 
men. I think the, a big thing here in that kind of thought process is how we think about the gospel. Do we think the gospel is really good news? Or do we think the gospel is just really good advice? See, good advice is when someone we know wants to stop smoking, so we, we give them some good advice. Or someone needs to lose some weight, so we, so we hook them up with a new diet. See, that's good advice. The gospel is more powerful than that. Zechariah 14.9 says this about Jesus. Because the gospel is all about Jesus. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, there will be one Lord. And his name alone will be worshipped. Jesus did not come to be a really good life coach. A really gifted mentor. A teacher that we could just, you know, like Tony Robbins. Really give us good encouragement. Jesus is king. And he has a kingdom. And there's a way that that kingdom works. And the way that kingdom works is through the gospel. Through the gospel message. Through the power of the gospel. That is where we should be living inside the kingdom, in the gospel, with the gospel, breathing the gospel, living the gospel. Life in the kingdom is about living like Jesus. And as we move in the kingdom, we are changed and renewed and restored and transformed by the gospel. We, we begin to look like Jesus. We begin to sound like Jesus. We begin to act like Jesus. And guess what happens after that? We move out towards the world. Not away from them. See, the gospel is a, is a message that pushes you out of whatever comfort zone we happen to be in. It has to be that way. We have to leave things that hold us back and keeps us separated behind because the gospel message is a pushing message pushing people out of their comfort zones into the world. Jesus said it. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Well, if we're hiding behind closed doors, who are we lifting up? Or who are we lifting Jesus up to? I want to lift Jesus up to you guys, but we need, we need a little bit more than that. Jesus said it best in John thirteen thirty four. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So I think about the ways that Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us sacrificially. Jesus loves us completely. Jesus loves us fully. And this is the kind of love that we need to show the world, the complete love of Jesus, the fullness of Jesus' love. We love the, the world the way that Jesus loves us. The beautiful thing about this love is that it doesn't avoid conflict. 
See, this kind of love, agape love, confronts conflict with hope, with truth, with power, with a promise of changing, of being transformed. See, the gospel never avoids conflict. Never avoids conflict because it's the answer to those conflicts. It's the only answer to those conflicts. So the the gospel doesn't shy away from poverty issues, justice issues, gender identity issues, or racial issues. Because it's the only answer. Let me ask you a question. What is the best way to learn a new language? Practice it. Immerse yourself in it. That's the answer I was looking for. 5,000 points for you today. Yeah, the best way to learn a new language is, is to immerse yourself in that culture. Go to that country. Practice it, of course, but you practice it with the natives, with the people indigenous to that area. We are to immerse ourselves in the kingdom of God. Because there's a language to learn. See, the gospel is, here's the first proclamation. Okay, The gospel is God's love language to the world. The gospel is God's love language to the world. That's the first proclamation here. This is, this is what we must become fluent in. God's love language to the world, which is the gospel. We must understand the gospel. We must breathe the gospel. We must understand every nuance of the kingdom so that when we leave and go into the world, we are messengers of the gospel and no other message. See, my opinions don't matter. My political opinions, my opinions on gender issues, my opinions on any issue out there, any hot-button issue, do not matter compared to God's opinion. I am allowed to have them. I am working through some of them. (laughs) But the moment I exalt my opinion over God's word, I am sinning. Okay? Okay? No one else does that but me in this church. I didn't realize that. So I'm just, I'm confessing. I'm confessing. I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. Please, I, and I'm serious about that. I'm not pointing fingers. Gospel fluency is this. It is the ability to speak the truth in love. To speak life into people. To encourage each other. And that language helps us understand how to build how to build community within the kingdom of God. No matter what the hot button issue is, we should be able to speak the truth and love to it so that the gospel message is understood. See, the gospel message will confront error, but it will do it in love. See, the gospel message will confront sin, but it will do it with love. But it will confront it. It will call it out. It will speak to the situation. It is, we don't go, we don't try to skirt around the issues. We speak truth. But we do it with love. If you notice, Jesus never skirted around an issue. And neither should we. Are you with me so far? Ephesians chapter 2, 19 to 22 says this. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. 
but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You are no longer strangers. You are no longer aliens. The scripture is saying that you are a people who now belong. You belong to the household of God and you belong to each other. Because you're family. There are no strangers in God's family. There are a few strange people like me, but there are, there are no strangers in God's family. Which means that there is, there is this great promise of intimate knowledge of each other across any ethnic, socioeconomic, cultural difference. This blew my mind. God is building us together so he can dwell in us. Doesn't that just blow your mind? That God is making us into his household so he can dwell right in the center of it. So if God is living in the center of of the church, of, of his people, of his sons and daughters, there's a problem when we exclude people from that. Because we're not celebrating what God is celebrating. We're not acknowledging what God is acknowledging. It's good. Oneness and unity are important to God. We are, we are called to be a people who know God, who know who we are in Christ, and know each other. Not just within the local congregation that we happen to meet consistently at. But the, a world out there, other brothers and sisters, that's why it was so exciting that over the series of this, uh, of, uh, over the course of this series, you know, with how many different uh, other churches came to visit with us and, and be with us. That was wonderful. And we have certainly gone to other places of worship, worshiping with them. We have done other, uh, other events with them. That's all been wonderful. And I am so thankful for that, but that, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And I've been hearing stories of people meeting with other uh, people of, of, of color and, and other situations and, uh, and developing relationships. And, man, that just honors God's heart as we continue to do and understand this whole idea about being family together, brothers and sisters. Here's a second proclamation for you. The gospel helps us navigate the relational waters of unity. The gospel helps us navigate the relational waters of unity. The gospel is a fixed point for us because it helps us know how to love God and then love others. See, it's a fixed point. It's a north star. It, it is the thing when we get distracted, when we get discouraged, when, when we just don't know how to make something work out, we go back to the gospel message so we can learn how to love God and then be able to love others. That is the only way it works. The gospel brings God's kingdom agenda into clarity. And that agenda of the kingdom involves reconciliation. It involves harmony, unity, oneness, with a whole bunch of diversity thrown into the mix. And only God can make that work. Because we're talking about oneness, we're not talking about sameness. Okay, We're not talking about all looking the same, sounding the same, being the same. We're talking about oneness, being able to celebrate diversity and appreciate each other's differences. And God is doing this, and he says he's doing this, in 1 Corinthians 12. 
Verse 12 to 14. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, some are free, but we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. So imagine this morning you were just all feet. You might be able to get somewhere, but you couldn't see where you were going. That could be. Imagine if you were all eyes. You could see where you're going, but you couldn't get there. Aren't you glad that there's many parts to one body? Just think about it in a human sense. But something doesn't work right in our body, the whole body's affected. And it could be as simple thing as a splinter in your big toe and your whole body is affected. It could be something more serious, obviously. This is why it's so important to realize that diversity, this is a proclamation number three. Diversity is part of the strength of the body of Christ. Diversity is part of the strength of the body of Christ. The, the scriptures just told us that it was. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. The gospel helps us appreciate each other's cultures, differences, and then celebrate them. No matter the difference, cultural or socioeconomic, we need each other. Again, it's not about sameness. It's about oneness. This is what God is after. So I, I don't believe that our differences... Our cultural differences, our ethnic differences, I don't believe any of those things separate us. I believe our choices do. Just going to let that one sit there for a minute. I believe our choices is really what separates us from people. We might use cultural or ethnic things as excuses, or as, but really it is our choices. Who we allow and accept to flow through our lives. And so when an issue like that separates us like that, we are choosing to break with God's design of, for unity, Amen. for oneness. And this is painful to God. I believe that racism is a direct attack by the enemy to the gospel and to God's mission in this world. And like many others, people who are a lot smarter than me, better theologians than me, but I agree with them. I do believe that it is a sin issue and not a skin issue. It plays out in skin issues. But it's a sin issue. And again, I think that grieves the heart of God. Racism is an anti-God, anti-church, anti-brotherhood, anti-sisterhood, spiritual force that grows in the shadows of sin. It shows itself in cruelty, injustice. It reveals itself in socioeconomic ways, in racial ways, in the jail system. It reveals its ugly hand all around the place and it's not hard to figure out. And it all grieves the heart of God. Because it's an insidious sin. I can't help but think about this scripture in 1 John 2, 9. is that whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. God does not want racism in the church or any place. Many Christians, I've, and I'm grateful, you know, many more Christians are becoming more aware and more awake to this, to this thing. That, that, that racism is a sin. And that it's still present. 
But I don't know if many people recognize that there is a spirit behind this. I do believe that there is a spirit of racism, but I do believe that it's fueled by this thing. It is fueled, it is powered by a spirit of division. I believe that is, if not the root cause of racism, it is one of the root causes of racism. A spirit of division. Romans 16, 17 to 18 says this. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by their smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. You've heard the old term, you know, divide and conquer. The old military term. That is exactly the enemy's attack. And that's what he uses racism for. To divide the body of Christ. And that plays out in our nation. And that plays out all across the world. You, you cannot go to any corner of this world where there's actual people living there that there's not some issue of racism. Some issue of prejudice. We must uproot this, this, this enemy, this principality. We must, because it divides, it separates what God desires to be one. We, the church, break this stronghold with the truth of who God is. And what the gospel teaches us. We must see each other through the lens of scripture. Through the gospel. See, if I've seen people again, through my own opinion, I'm not looking at them the way that God looks at them. See, if I look at people through what I think they should do to change and be better people, I am not looking through the gospel. The power of the gospel tells the truth about their situation, again, and confronts them where they are. But I let the gospel do the work. I let the truth of who God is do the work. Because I do believe if you lift up Jesus, he draws all men to him. I do believe that. We must love the way that Christ loves people. We must. James 2.9 But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. Now the Greek word for partiality there means to show favor or favoritism for someone's uh, social rank or position. But the Hebrew understanding of partiality is way deeper. It means to accept a face or to prefer a face. And it doesn't really mean about the way uh, I, I appreciate this person, how they look over this person. It means I'm going to accept them by the way, by who they represent. See, I prefer this face because it looks a lot like mine. I accept this face because it looks a lot like mine. That's the concept there. So that you're, so that means if I accept someone's face, it means I'm rejecting someone else's face. Get that? Understand that, what that means? So when I, when I am showing that kind of partiality to someone, I am sinning. And it grieves the heart of God here. This is why racism is such a sin. Because of what it means. And what it does to the human soul that, that, that is feeling this. Basically, if you treat some people better than others, you have done wrong. 
and is a sin because we go against God's design for unity. We sin when we treat people unfairly, when we assume the worst about a certain ethnic group, when we favor one group or another, we do not reflect the heart of God. Romans twelve sixteen says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. It's huge. I learned this lesson at an early age. I learned this when I was 10 years old about showing partiality. I didn't fully understand it, but I learned it. God said something deep to my heart. Many of you know the story of my, my, the abuse of my father and how abusive he was, how mean he was, how cruel he was, and how I lived under this realm of, the, of oppression. My father's hatred for me wasn't just for me. Like I said, he hated just about every human being that he ever met. But he hated black people the worst. I never seen anyone other than my father treat, you know, other than like movies and stuff like that, treat black people the way that my father did. It was vile and it was disgusting. My father had a, a used tool business in, his, in, in our basement uh, that he would try to supplement our, our income. And one day, it was a Saturday morning, he told me to go down to the basement and start changing all the price tags. You didn't ask, you never asked my question why. You just, you just did what he asked you to, told you to do. So I went downstairs, tried to change all the price tags, and he told me to raise them up by a certain amount. And so while I was busily doing that, I heard him having a conversation outside this shop door, and then about ten minutes later, uh, he walked in with this, with this black man. And I was sitting on a stool at this point, and the black guy came in. He looked, very, he looked like a very kind person. I just remember that. And he kind of smiled and nodded good morning to me. And uh, he went about. And my father followed him throughout the shop. And the shop was not very big. But it was obviously he was not showing trust to this man. And even the worst kind of thing that happened, every time uh, this man showed an interest in the tool and there was a certain price on it, my father would up the price right at that moment. Like, oh, my son, he messed up. He messed up with doing all the price tags. Well, it didn't take long for this man to figure out what was going on. And so he started to leave without buying anything. And I remember he was walking by me again, and he kind of like paused, and he kind of looked at me and kind of smiled. And I felt like he was sending me this message, and, and, hey, kid, don't grow up to be like your dad. I, I don't know how he communicated that to me, but that's what I saw in this man's eyes. There was a sadness there. There was a, an acceptance of, of, his, of what he's used to, of, of all, all those things that was communicated to a, to, to a 10-year-old mind. Somehow, somehow God did something, and that, that information was transferred into my head. And this is why this kind of stuff is important to me. This is why I feel the urging of the Holy Spirit for us to continue to, to do and the, the, the networking and the breaking down walls and building bridges that we're, that we're so invested in. I, uh, this is a call for all of us that we can't stop. We just can't stop this because this kind of thing still happens. People still show partiality and they reject the face. And it's wrong. And it's hurtful to God. And the last person I want to hurt is my father. Years later, God said something to me, and here's another proclamation for you. But he said this to my heart. He says, you are preaching a message by the way you build community. He said this to me way before I ever became a preacher. I was still in my teens when he said this to me. I had no idea what he was talking about. 
we are building, we are sending a message by the way we build community. And people are noticing. People come up to me and they say, what are you guys up to? I said, whatever the Father wants, to the best that we can. God was telling me that my actions, or even my inaction, were sending a message about how I really felt about his kingdom. Ephesians 4, 1 through 5. Can someone come and pick that up and read that for me? Ephesians 4. Paul came in unity. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all holiness and with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Isn't that huge? Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. It means with zealous urgency, guard oneness. This is not passive, is it? We have to fight for unity. We have to guard it. We have to embrace it. It has to be. That is, that is part of the kingdom. The gospel is the native language of the kingdom. But breaking the, this stronghold of racism isn't a formula. It isn't a 12-step program. But it is an act of obedience. It is a choice to do so. To be involved in kingdom building. Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We must pray against the spirit of racism and the spirit of division. We must pray for justice and peace, for righteousness, and we must pray like Jesus did in John 17. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they might be one, even as you and I are one.